the idea that Jesus said that my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He gave peace. We can know peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But if you reject God, no God, no peace. We come to uh, Scripture in Acts chapter 16, and you see Paul had been arrested for something he didn't do wrong. Basically, he gets arrested because he's preaching the gospel, which is not uncommon still today, right? All around the world, there are people in jail, people who are put in uh, to prisons because of their faith. Paul's thrown into prison. Um, they don't really like him much, so they beat him with rods. So I don't know if any of you guys remember, there was a fella a few years ago got caned. You remember? That's what beating with rods is. So he was beaten with rods, locked in the stocks, the Bible says, in the darkest part of the prison. So wherever he is is not a good place, right? And then scripture tells us that they were singing praises. Bloody backs, locked in stocks, right? Your hands and feet locked together. And just singing songs in the middle of the night. There was an earthquake. You remember the story? All the doors of the prison opened up. And nobody left. you imagine that happening today? You go to a prison and all of a sudden all the doors just open up and all the prisoners are free. And nobody leaves. Because they all want to find out why does this guy have peace. He's, they recognize that there was something in, something that Paul had in his life that they all needed. And the bottom line is still the same. What he had was a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? So how is it that, you know, we can go through the hard things of life and have peace? How is it Casey can have peace? Last several times I've been able to go visit her. She is probably as sick as anybody I've ever known in my life. But she knows she's in God's hands. Try to to eat lunch with Weston uh, once a week. He knows he's in God's hands. What, where does that peace come from? That peace comes from a relationship with God. What's going on in Jeremiah chapter 8 is there's a whole nation that should have peace. But they don't. Why don't they have peace? Because they don't have God. They have rejected him. When you reject him, no God no peace. And literally, no peace is coming, right? Because there's an army bearing down on them. And you have, you know, in, this, in these first several uh, chapters of Jeremiah, it, it's hard to recognize, but you have like a 40-year-long death throw. Jeremiah is talking about their destruction 40 years before it comes. Through his ministry, while he's reaching out to them through the other prophets, there's there's a period of time where God says, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, peace is gone. Don't listen to the things that, that all these other guys are saying, all the lies that they're telling you, because you have left a relationship with me where, wherein is your peace. So this is what Jeremiah chapter 8 is talking about. There's no peace without the Lord. So Jeremiah 8 verse 1 starts, at that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of the officials, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, <clears throat> the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will be brought out of their tombs 
And they will be spread before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and served, which they have gone after, which they have sought and worshipped. And they will not be gathered or buried. So all the leaders of Israel, even though they die, one of the things that was... uh, um, disappointment to them i don't know there's a stronger word the idea of not being buried their bones being left out for the animals to chew on and the lord says here one of the judgments that's coming one of the losses of peace that they'll have in their passing is the idea that their bones are going to be left out under the stars and god tells them why why are they going to be out under the sun the moon and the host of heaven because that's what you've been worshiping the host of heaven and the idea of the host of heaven is, is, is the same. Where do we think all the, the idolatry came from? You think men just sat around and made that stuff up? I don't buy it. The false religions today, you think that they just dreamed that up? You think, you think when Muhammad sat in that cave that nothing came to him? He just, oh, I don't think that. You think the people who have been deceived by angels, visions... You, you think that didn't happen? The Bible tells us that we have to be careful of, of the testing the spirits. Why? Because false spirits come. No? And so what happens if you're in a cave and you're saying, man, God, I really want to understand the truth, and a shiny angel shows up, and he tells you lies? What are you going to do? Will you know the difference between lies and the truth? Or you just take what he says and run with it? Write it all down. All the hosts of heaven, the fallen Elohim, the fallen angels, that's the host of heaven. The stars, it's not that they were worshiping the stars, it's a, it's a Hebraic idiom for the false gods. Who do you think the false gods were? When God in Deuteronomy 32.8, he said... He said we, when the Tower of Babel takes place and the, the rebellion of man is all unified in rebellion against God, God disinherits the nations, all the nations. And he says, I'm going to pull from among all the nations my own peculiar people so that he can reveal who he is to them and then through them to the nations. So there is a sense in which God is reclaiming the nations. When Jesus came and he's uh, going forth <coughs> in his ministry, there was something called the send, sending out of the 70. You remember? Sent disciples out two by two by 70. Because the Bible says there are 70 nations. It's, it's Jesus saying, I'm coming to claim the nations. I'm coming back for the nations. All the things that were lost can be redeemed through jesus christ but he says you guys who have rejected the lord i'm going to leave your bones outside for the host of heaven they're the ones you worship so we'll leave that's part of the judgment you'll be left out here you'll be left outside oh animals will be chewing the the marrow out of your bones it says they shall be as dung on the surface of the ground so that's not a a very good thing right not pleasant Listen to this, verse 3, death will be preferred to life. So part of the judgment is the people who have died will be better off than the people who survive. The people who survive will wish for death. Do you know that that also is stated in Revelation? 
when you see the, the world under God's judgment, when judgment comes, it will, they will be crying out for death. Now, I don't want you to lose, don't lose the significance of that. Don't just think of it in terms of, well, they're, they want to die because they're suffering so great. That's not what it's talking about. They don't want life. We live in a culture of death today. They don't want the path of life. They don't want to follow the life that's in Christ. They want to follow death. So they cry out for death to save them. They go to death as a savior. That, that it, it's more than just people saying my suffering is too hard so, so I just want to end it all. That's not it. When Lady Wisdom comes out and she beckons the people in Proverbs to follow her. Which is a picture of what Christ does when he comes, right? Come and follow me, the path of life. Follow the path of life. The people reject her and what is the result? Lady Wisdom is the path of life and what is the fool takes the path of death. And so these people are crying out for death. We want death. We want death. We'd rather have death. And Revelation, exact same thing. Judgment being poured out. God striking down the wicked and people crying out for death as a savior rather than to him. He would give them life. Yet they would not repent. They would not take life. They would rather die. That is the peak of man's rebellion against God. That's why suicide is not okay. Because when we run to suicide... You know, I'm not saying suicide is the unforgivable sin. Don't misunderstand me. But when we run to suicide, we're not running to Christ. When we run to suicide, we're reaching out for a different Savior. Oh, you saved me. Death saved me from all this. Death doesn't save nobody. The last great lie. What, is it, what does the scripture tell us? The last enemy that will be defeated is who? Death. Death is in opposition to life. The fool is in opposition to, to the wise. And so they're, they're going to cry out for death. Death will be preferred to life. In Jesus Christ is the light and the life of all mankind. But they'll turn their back on that and cry out for death. All the remnant that remains of this evil family in the places where I have driven them, declares the Lord of hosts. So what God is saying, look, don't feel sorry for the people that I'm judging. Because the people that I'm judging are choosing death. That's what they want. And ultimately, God is granting them their final wish, right? I want death. I've heard from countless guys in interviews, I can't remember the fellow's name, but a famous atheist guy who said, even if I knew absolutely that God was real, I would not worship him. I would rather go to hell than be with a God like that. This is not somebody that we ought to feel sorry for. It is the peak of the rebellion of men. I don't want life. This is what they're saying. Jeremiah is saying this is this God's judgment is coming on Judah, and this is what they're saying. We don't want life. We would rather we would rather die. We don't want to come to the Lord. What brings this? In verse 4, the Lord says, You shall say to them, <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? 
Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? If you were walking across our parking lot tonight and you tripped and fell, if you were able, you would get back up, right? I know when I do that, I get back up really fast. Because I'm hoping I can get up before anybody's seen me, right? When I, I, I lived in Alaska for a year when I was in the Marine Corps, and we had a rule in Alaska, because Alaska winter was forever. So uh, all I remember is there was no, nothing greater than spring in Alaska, because the 49 feet of snow that we were in all melted and everything turned green. And it was like you never seen color before. And, and then a month later, it started snowing again. So, but we had a rule. You walked with your hands in your pocket. Two reasons. First, if you slip on ice, the dude next to you does not want to go down with you. So do not grab me. Because then there will be two of us falling. Second reason, you will do the goofiest dance on earth when you're slipping in ice. And just save yourself from looking silly. Put your hands in your pockets and just hit the ground. Then it's over quicker. You know, you didn't do the dance. Right? So you don't, you don't want to do that. So here's what the Lord is saying in this, in this verse. He's saying, if you fall, don't you get back up? If you stumble, if you're going the wrong way, don't you stop and turn around? Why are my people in a perpetual backsliding? That they know they're going in opposition to my way. Why won't they turn? Why won't they turn around? Why won't they change? I'll tell you why. Because we are stubborn, prideful people. You know how hard it is for someone to choose humility? Yeah, you probably do because you've done it before, right? So look, to, be, to make the choice of saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the humble stance. Kathy and I used to say in marriage that it's like bearing your throat to your partner. You know, you're hoping they're not going to rip it out. But you're just, you, at some point, you know, somebody, otherwise things just keep spiraling. At some point, you just got to show them the throat. Just like dogs, right? When they're playing around, you, you'll know the, the humble dog. How you know the humble dog? Flops on its back right away. It's submissive. It's not interested in being in charge. But we have a hard time letting that position go, don't we? And saying, okay, God, you're in charge. What if God's plan for you is one you don't like? Well, that doesn't matter. Either you're willing to let God be in charge or you're not. Taking that position of humility. They hold fast to deceit and they refuse to return. Most of us learn from our mistakes. Oh, trust me. You, even the most stubborn man who is lost and won't ask for directions, when he figures out he's lost and he's gone too far, we'll turn around. Even the most stubborn I've ever been, thinking I know where I'm going, eventually, I will blame it on Kathy and turn around. (laughs) I'll go back. I won't just keep going. I won't just say, you know what? Sooner or later, this road is going to get me where I want to be. No, it won't. I promise. I tried that once out here in Idaho. I was out in the middle of the desert. I don't know where I was. I know that jets weren't dropping bombs where I was, so I don't think I was in the bombing range. But I was out in the middle of no place. And I kept thinking, I'm just going to keep driving on this road. Eventually, I'm going to hit something I know. Yeah, no. Yeah, 
I seen a sign that said, welcome to Nevada. That was probably not good. I'm pretty sure I was trying to stay in Idaho. And if I stayed on that road, it was not going to get me anywhere I wanted to be. At some point, what do you do? Turn around. But the people of Judah, and we're guilty as well. The people of Judah, they wouldn't turn around. The Lord's saying, why won't you turn around? Look, throughout Scripture, we can see that the heart of God, like the heart of any parent, I want to say any good parent, but I don't know if there are any good parents, but any parent doesn't want to discipline their children, doesn't, is not looking forward to the beatings every night when they put the kids to bed. Nobody wants to do that. But a good parent will do what they have to do, Right? The Bible says if you love your children, you will discipline them. So God, his heart is not to destroy. His heart is to give life. But when he's rejected, if, he, if life steps out of the way, what's left? And knowing this is what they're choosing, um, you know, I think just breaks the heart of God. Look at verse 6. He says, I have paid attention and listen." But they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, what have I done? Nobody's like, nobody wants to own up. Nobody wants to say, nobody's that tax collector Jesus talked about. You know what I mean? And we look a lot at our world. I, I think about it often when I, when I watch, uh, especially when I watch like where, where two, side, two political sides have clashed at some rally or some event and they're shouting and screaming at each other and somebody's bleeding and somebody's swinging bike locks and somebody else is doing you know whatever there's all this stuff going on but nobody wants to say we did anything wrong and if you say you did something wrong usually the next thing they say is well they you ever done that i kathy catches me in it all the time She'll say, you know, you shouldn't have done this. And, and then usually I'll say, well, you made me. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? If I'd done wrong, am I guilty for the wrong I'd done? If you done wrong, are you guilty for the wrong you've done? Is it you're not guilty if someone else made you mad first? Sorry, that rule don't fly to God. When you stand before God, it's not going to be God going, oh, I'm sorry. Did your wife make you angry? Well, then it's okay. Right? Do you remember Adam and Eve? And Adam standing before God and blaming God. Lord, it's a woman you gave me. Yeah. God didn't give him a pass. He entered into a cursed world, right? So the reality is, look, we, we have to own up. And it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anything, you know, even though I may say, Kathy knows where all my buttons are and she knows how to mash them all. But even though she mashes all the buttons, I still don't have the right to sin. Period. So if I've done wrong, I need to humble myself like that tax collector, right? Who stood before God and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. But here the judgment is, nobody will do it. Everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. Nobody wants to stand up and take the blame. It's, it's seen no, no more clearer than in the political realm. We live in a fantasy world about politics around here. Sorry, I'm going to jump on everybody's toes for a minute. 
So, you know, I don't even care what party you're into. It doesn't matter to me at all. They've all been in charge and none of them have fixed it. It might have been moderately better or worse under some people. But there's no such thing as the lesser of two evils. Evil is evil. Good is good. There's not less evil and more evil. They're just evil. And they're evil. They're all evil. They're all crooks. You know, they, we, we, one of the hot buttons for me, obviously, is the issue of abortion. And how many times, you know, when Roe v. Wade was passed, it was a Republican-run, appointed judge. It, w- it was supposed to be a conservative court. But it still went. And there have been Republicans in charge a hundred times since then. And it's still there. Because the bottom line is that they don't really care. What they really care about is power. So, and we, and we spend all our time fighting over all that nonsense. You know, great. You know, I get it. I, I understand that <clears throat> platform's a platform and some platforms are better than other platforms. Great. That's good. They're only as good as the person who says they'll do it. If they don't do it, they ain't no good. Don't care what you say. Will, will people stand up? How, how refreshing would it be for somebody who's been in politics a long time to just stand up and own the fact that we have really sucked at this for a long time? And, and uh, you know... I could really get behind something like that, right? Somebody who could say, we're wrong, and we did this wrong, and we did this wrong, and, and I'm owning my own failure before you, and, um, you know, we'll, we want to do better. That'd be great. But nobody ever wants to take the blame. Nobody ever wants to say, it's my fault. And this is what God is talking about. They, they don't own it. They don't want to own their own issues. He said that... No man relents of his evil, saying, what have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Isn't that what it's like? You get the picture, like two sides and horses running like crazy. And them horses, they've trained them horses. Them horses ain't turning, ain't stopping. They're going to run until they die. Into whatever they're going to run into. Because that's how they've been trained. And the Lord says, that's what you guys are like. You won't stop. Nobody will say, what are we doing this for? How many people does it take to stop a fight? You can't have a fight if the other side don't fight. They're running headlong like horses plunging in the battle. No sounds of repentance. No cries of regret. Verse 7. Even the stork. So he's going to say birds are smarter than us. You ready? The stork in the heavens knows her times. The turtle dove, the swallow, the crane, they keep the time of their coming. Don't, do birds know when they're supposed to go south? Uh, you know, they, they know their migration patterns. They know where they're supposed to go to, to lay their, their eggs and have their young. And the, the wild kingdom has been doing it forever. The only people who, who don't got it figured out is us. Mankind. Because we're so smart. We have, we're, our, our intelligence has exceeded our ability to know anything. 
How can you say, this is what the Lord says, verse 8, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? God's like, what are you talking about? You can't say you are wise. You have rejected the Lord. But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. So the scribes just keep writing it down. Keep writing the things down. The wise men shall be put to shame. They'll be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? There's only one foundational uh, thing we can hold on to. It's the word of God. What else do you have? If I have to rely on my own ability to to reconcile things, then then I have I, I I I've lost all grounding. It's all in the word. Why do why do we say this is right and this is wrong? Because it's what the word says. Not just what my mind dreams up. If we just count on my mind dreaming up, we dream up all kind of dumb things. But if you reject the word, you're rejecting wisdom, you're rejecting the path of life. And you're walking on the road that leads to death. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, gives us this cry of wisdom. It says in in verse 20 of Proverbs 1, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? How long will fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known. God's like, if you respond to me, I'm going to give you more. I'll give you more understanding. You submit. Humble yourself. I'll give you more. I'll open your eyes. I'll open your understanding. If you'll return. If you'll turn at my reproof. He says, I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will then laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm. Your calamity comes like the whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. The Lord says, I, there's nothing left for me to do. It's not the, this, is a, this is not the laugh, the mocking laughter. This is the frustrating laughter. You ever been frustrated and you could do nothing else but just laugh? Oh my gosh, you won't listen to me at all. No, that's almost... That, that, that is often the case in a variety of counseling I get to do. You're, you're not listening to me. Why? You want to talk to me. You're not going to listen. No way. You're not, you cannot hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. And so at some point when the Lord is reaching out and trying to turn people from destruction and they keep heading toward destruction, all he's left with is that frustrating laugh, right? It's anthropomorphic speech. It's helping us understand the heart of God. I'm just going to laugh at your calamity. I I don't know what to do. I'm I'm trying to put every roadblock in front of you, but you won't have any of it. You, You continue down that road. Why? He says, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, despised all of my reproof. I therefore will eat the fruit of their way. And 
and they will have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will, will dwell secure, will be at ease, and, will, and without dread of disaster. Why, why do they have no dread of disaster? You'd say, well, you know, what, what about those in our fellowship who are sick, who have cancer? What about folks like Casey and Weston? They've been in this journey for a long time, and they don't have dread of disaster? No, they don't have to have dread of disaster. They're following the road of life. How that, however that ends here, it doesn't end in death. Do you know that? Do you know that no matter what things happen to you, under, no matter, I, I leave the church tonight and have a motorcycle wreck on the way home and the Lord chooses to take me home. That wasn't the end. I'm on the path of life. The Bible says absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. I'm going to look in his face. Now, i got one chance to hear well done or I can't believe you made it. One of those two things is going to happen. And then I'm going to be in his presence for eternity. That's the path of life. If you're on the path of life, you don't have to be afraid of disaster. Why? Because disaster is not the end. The end is being with him. That's the end. That's the point. So the Lord is saying to these guys, man, there's no wisdom in you. Verse 10, therefore... I give their wives to others, their field to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Everybody lies. Everyone is guilty. They're not relying on the Lord. They're relying on their own schemes, their own lies, their own ability to figure out a peace treaty. In verse 11, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. Some of our Bibles say slightly. The idea of the word for lightly or the word for slightly is a word meaning by sleight of hand. By trickery they heal. They heal by trickery. What's the trickery? They say peace when there is no peace. They tell you what you want to hear. But they're not telling you the truth. There's only life in the truth, right? They say peace, peace, where there is no peace. Verse 12, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. Being proud of our sin, that, if that doesn't describe our world, I don't know what does. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen when I punish them. They will be overthrown, says the Lord. When I would gather them, verse 13, declares the Lord, there were no grapes on the vine, no figs in the fig tree, even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. So there's this sense in which God says, you know, part of his deal with Israel is, so you know my displeasure, um, the land will stop being productive, rain will stop falling. The point is, when, when things like that start, start happening, don't cry out to Baal, the god of the storm. Cry out to the Lord, have, what have we done? But am I off track, God? You know, this was his warning. When Habakkuk cried out to the Lord, another prophet during this period of time, God, what are you doing? There's wickedness everywhere. Why don't you deal with this stuff? The Lord says, I am. In fact, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to use Babylon to judge all you people. I'm going to use Babylon to judge the nation. Well, how can you use Babylon? They're wicked. Yep. You're right. They're wicked. 
So are you. I'm going to use the wicked to judge the wicked. God's bringing that call. Here's what Habakkuk says at the end of his prayer in chapter 3. In Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and no herd is in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. God's going to get me through. I'm going to trust in him, though I don't have anything. Though he take it all. What did Job say? Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. That's humility. That's humility. Pride says, well, what else can you take from me, God? You've taken it all. You're cruel. You're not good. You're not kind. Sometimes we get in our little pity parties about what we think we deserve, right? Because we've done so many good things, we deserve to have all the stuff we're supposed to have, right? Humility says, if you take it all, I'm not going to stop praising you. I cast my die with God a long time ago. It's me and him till the wheels fall off and beyond. Whatever you, whatever you do, Lord, that's fine. I'm okay with it. I trust you. You will make me able to stand. That's what Habakkuk says. You're going to make my feet like the deer's feet. Deer can walk in places I can't. You're going to make me like that. You're going to make me able to stand. You'll make me able to endure. I trust you. If the people had done that, they would not have eaten their children. But they would rather eat their children than trust God. That's not weird to you? It's a little weird to me. The, the pride of man that will hold him back. Why do we sit still? Gather together. Here's the people talking. Let us go into the fortified cities and there we'll perish. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish. He's given us poison water to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. Well, let's, we'll just go down fighting. Let's go into the cities. That's what they did. They went into the cities and starved to death and ate their children because that was better than bowing the knee to God and accepting punishment. Remember the story? King walking through the city. The woman saying, King, you have to solve this problem for me. What, what, what problem? Well, I made a deal with my neighbor that, that we'd eat my son today and her son tomorrow. So yesterday we ate my son and today she hid hers. And the king tore his clothes and cried out to God. How did we get here? Because we walk in pride and we don't want to submit to the Lord. We don't want to say, you're right, Lord, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. They, none of them had to be hungry. All they had to do was walk out of the city. Right here they're saying, let's go into the city and let's all starve to death together. God is judging us, we'll just go starve. While Jeremiah is walking through the city saying, why don't you just go across this thing and surrender and eat. But they won't do it. Stubbornness of men, right? The snorting of their horses. Oh, look, verse 15. Uh, we looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of healing, but behold, terror. We're waiting to be delivered. And God said, I'm not going to deliver you. Surrender. And you can live. 
That's all. 16, the snorting of their horses is heard from Dan. Here, the anxiety, right, of the approaching army. At the sound of the neighing of their stallions, a whole land quakes. They come and devour the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I am sending among you serpents, adders that cannot be charmed, and they will bite you, declares the Lord. The anxiety is growing. Then Jeremiah speaks in verse 18. My joy is gone Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not here in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and their foreign idols? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's going to write a whole book at the end as he watches the things he prophesied during his life take place. He, he spends his time weeping over the fact that the people weren't, won't turn. Listen to verse 20. He says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. They won't turn. That's probably the saddest verse in this whole book. The time has come and passed, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn in dismay. Dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? The balm of Gilead is, some people think, a messianic term. Is there no way to heal the heart of my people? Not right now. There's a way coming. There is a balm in Gilead, but you got to want to put it on. There is a a road that would have led to salvation, right? Salvation of the people where they didn't have to die. Salvation of the people where they didn't have to starve. Salvation of the people where they didn't have to suffer so much. There was probably suffering. I mean, nobody says, hey, I want to be a slave for 70 years, right? But that's the rule. Which one of your kids, when you say you're on restriction for a week, goes, woohoo! I'm so excited to be on restriction for a week. Nobody ever does that. The restriction God was putting on the people was 70 years. You're going to spend your entire life in slavery to someone else because you don't want to be in slavery to me. Or you can say, I'd rather die. And that's what they did. Is life better than death according to the bible it always is what about a life of suffering things are hard and life you know is that the bible says life is always better than death all the time even in our suffering even if you know what it is a drag. We all, we all want to be able to say, well, you know, if, if my life was like this, you know, I hope somebody would walk me out in the woods and give me a rabbit to pet and shoot me and bury me out there so I'm not a 
<laughs> For those of you guys who know, me and Jason have this deal. I tell him Alzheimer's is coming, so he can take me out to the woods and give me a rabbit to pet. But God's word would say, life's always better. Life's always better. It, the question is, and the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is my life about me? Or is my life about others? Is my life about what happens to me or what I go through? Or is my life about what the Lord wants? And it's, you know, it's a drag. I hope it's not the case. But if the Lord wants me to have Alzheimer's like my my grandma and my mom before me, if that's something that passes to me, then that's the path the Lord has for me. I don't get to take it away because of my own pride. What I'm supposed to do is say, your will, Lord, can you do that? Those are hard things. What about when it's your children? What about when it's your grandchildren? What about when it's the people you love and you say, and you feel that pride rise up in you and say, oh no, this is not good. This can't be okay. This can't be God. You sure? Or can we lift our eyes to heaven and say, my salvation draws near? That's what the Bible says to do when troubling times come. Lift your eyes to heaven. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Myself, taking matters into my own hands, or me, trusting in God? It's taking the things that were real for these people, right? These people that we can look at and we can say, Oh my gosh, you know, what a bunch of knuckleheads. Why didn't they just submit to what God says? But all of a sudden we make it about us and things that we don't like and you begin to realize where our own stubbornness lies, right? What God wants from us is total submission all the way. Nothing left, all given, all bowed, all surrendered. And that's, that's the goal we want. If you know God that way, you will know peace, even in the horrific circumstances that life brings. Because we don't have to dread death because death is not the end. Right? We're on the path of life. And we trust God, that God knows what he's doing. That God's accomplishing something. Paul said this. Last thing I'll, I'll leave you with is Paul said, I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in him. That what we have in Christ is infinitely better than anything you could suffer. And if you want a, a list of the things Paul suffered, just read the book of Acts. It's all there. Paul said, I don't consider any of that worthy to be compared I gladly give it all again for the excellency of knowing him. This is the goal of a life submitted to God, a life that knows God and thereby knows peace. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can come before you. Thank you for the opportunity to study, to read this amazing book, God, and not to read this book in a sense it says, that can't see myself on the pages. 
So often we read about the nation of Israel and we think, oh my gosh, what a bunch of crazy people who could not get the idea. So help us take their struggles and apply them in our life in ways where we go, well, this would be hard for me to trust God in. And then, Lord, drive us to that place where the things we've sung tonight are true, that I don't have to be afraid if I'm standing in you. There's no fear. There's no fear because I have bowed the knee to the king. And the king never promised me that everything in life would be safe. But it will be good. Like C.S. Lewis said when the children looked over at Aslan and said, Is he tame? And they said, No, he's not tame. But he's good. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord to say, God, I bow the knee to you. Whatever you have for me in this life, I will accept. Just like your son did in the garden of Gatshmone. When he bowed the knee before a father who loved him more than we could ever imagine. And said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This same Jesus who called his disciples and said, come and follow me. While he was on a three-year course to the cross. The same Jesus calls us. Come and follow me. Just like Lady Wisdom all those years ago called the nation of Israel. Come, walk on the path of life and give up the fear of death. Because fear is a liar. We don't have to be afraid of the lies that fear will tell. And our king is good. So we can trust him. God be glorified in this place. As we recognize you as our hope. In Jesus name. Amen. When the night.